I'm Jimmy Alexander, and welcome to Out with Jimmy. It's the podcast where members of the LGBTQ community share their coming out stories with you, so everybody knows whether you're in the closet or out, you are not alone. I ask you to go to Apple Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, would not hurt my feelings if you gave us a nice review <laughs> and as many stars as you possibly can. This week, we have a very special guest, and I'm proud to say Karen Holmes is out with Jimmy. I am Karen Holmes, and I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. I work for the federal government as well as I do military volunteer work with the United States Veterans Reserve Corps along with a host of other things that I do. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am, I would say, a trans woman who happens to be lesbian. Karen, who was the first person you looked at and you said out loud, I'm a lesbian trans woman? Wow. Um, as far as being the lesbian part of it, I didn't look at it that way at first because basically I saw myself being trans uh, eventually, which is on my tagline, 40 years of wandering no more. I really didn't even understand that until I went to a conference in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference. And now it's called the Philadelphia Wellness Conference. And hearing the stories there, I said, wow, that's me. And so then after that, um, through the years, at least the first four years, I kept myself, you know, pretty much to myself, not wanting to date anybody, but I still had the feelings of wanting to be with a woman. So now I say I'm a trans woman who happens to be a lesbian. It's never been better than it is right now. Oh, absolutely. Not perfect, but it's never been uh, better. Because if you think about, like, let's say the 70s or 80s, when it was sweeps time, which are the times that are most important for television shows ratings-wise, because that's how they base all the national advertising for the next year is on like February, uh, November, May. And they do that. Uh, then you'll see all the specials, the Grammys, and all this stuff are, go on normally during sweeps. Well, Donahue would always roll out what, what we would call now, um, what they called at the time, cross-dressers. Mm -hmm. And they treated them like a sideshow act. Right. And I should say Phil tried his best, but that's what it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And now you would never speak the way the audience did to those people. And I remember um, seeing somebody come out. Their, they had started living their life as a woman. Mm -hmm. And people could not understand, like, well, wait a minute. You were a gay man. Now you're, you become a woman just to date women. But you, I'm a lesbian. And that's, I think, for people who aren't involved in our community. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong in that you're, who you are sex-wise necessarily doesn't have anything to do with your sexuality? Absolutely. I mean, being transgender is who we are in our mind, heart, and spirit. And that's where it all starts. And usually when I tell people that, usually a you know, five-, six-, and seven-year-old kid doesn't know anything about sexuality. All they know is, I'm a boy, I'm a girl. And that's what it's based on at that age. So... For us, this is who we are first, and then relationships may come in later. There are some that, you know, we'll see it differently, but let's put it this way. There's an estimate of 1.4 million transgender Americans, you know, in the United States. That's 1.4 different stories that you will hear out there from each and every one of us. It's almost like DNA. Nobody's going to have the exact, but we're going to be very, very close. So somebody out there that's listening to the show right now, they're going to say, wow, her story touches mine, or it's almost exactly like mine, and that's where it all starts. Karen, when did you first think to yourself, 
I'm a woman. Wow. Well, at the age of 13, that's when I started dressing and everything. And I didn't know anything about gender as far as, you know, that I'm a woman or whatever. I did have feelings and stuff. I'm like, why do I have these feelings? But I just never connected the dots. And after going to the Trans Wellness Conference 40 years later in June of uh, 2010, that's when I heard the stories and I went, wow, now I know why I have those feelings. And then, of course, I transitioned on the job and everything uh, October 1st of 2010. And you worked for the government at the time? Federal government, yep. So when you did that, mm-hmm. how did people at work take it? Uh, well, when I left work, I thought, and even before then, preparing for everything, it was a, we put this thing on a three-month hold because they wanted to get trainers in and everything like that. And I said to myself, if there's going to be an issue, there's only going to be like 5 to 10% of an issue because I do so much in the community, and I knew that that's what my coworkers were going to see, that the fact that I did all of this work outside. Our agency, I will tell you, is a volunteer-type agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2003, I ended up getting what's called the Willis Green Community Service Award. That's a staff member who will get awards or do volunteer work outside of the agency. And I got that award uh, back then. Tell you another little side thing. In 2014, uh, me as Karen, I ended up getting that same award. And people were going, didn't you get that award before? And I go, Nope, it wasn't me. That was Tony before. This is me now. And they're like, that doesn't, I'm like, that's the way it is because this is who we are. It, Tony's gone, but not forgotten. I look at him as a springboard to who Karen is today. Did you like Tony? Yeah. I mean, I thought he did a lot. Um, you know, very um, straightforward person. He wasn't, uh, you know, gay or anything like that. But I guess because of, the things that he did, doing the stuff he did in the community. Um, I thought it was awesome. Uh, Definitely was sad at moments and stuff like that because it's that internal person who was really trying to come out. And there was one particular time where Mm -hmm. Tony wanted to actually kill who was inside because of the fact that he kept wanting to dress all the time. And that wasn't what he really wanted. He didn't know why. But then once he did... Karen basically would come back to life in his life. And um, actually threw, uh, Tony threw all of my clothes off a cliff thinking he had killed me. A lot of parents who maybe don't treat their child's uh, sexuality uh, in a good way, I don't think that a lot of them understand and appreciate how much agony and how much thought has gone into the decision for you to have the strength to go, okay, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, this is who I am. Right. Well, I actually told my uh, family, uh, my brother, dad, and my mom, two weeks before I actually transitioned on the job. Yeah. <laughs> so in uh, the way that started, my brother just basically said, give him time to adjust, which is great. Um, he knew that I dressed when we were younger, um, not knowing really that I kept doing it for years. And then my dad, he just said in five minutes after I told him, he said, oh, who am I to judge? And so I elaborated more for another 20 minutes, and he just basically said, you've answered everything I would have asked. And uh, um, he did say, I said, do you have any questions for me? And he says, well, I do have one. And I went to myself, I'm like, 
uh-oh, mm-hmm. what question is this? And he said, are you going to keep your last name? And I said, yeah. He said, okay. And that was it. Like, it was no big deal. And then it came down to telling my mom, and I wanted to make her laugh. I actually yeah. had my cu- a couple of my cousins come with me that day to tell her um, because I just did not know how that was going to go over with her. Uh, she worries about so many things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want her to worry about this, and I didn't want her to try to talk me out of this at all. So, uh, you know, I told her, and she was okay, you know, because she loves me unconditionally. And uh, I said, oh, let me tell you what my name is going to be. And I told her it was going to be Karen. She had said when I told her that, she went, wow, she said, what she had never told me, she said when she was pregnant, if she had a girl, she was going to name it Karen. And I said, wow. And so many times leading up to that point, people kept saying to me, like, why don't you go with Tony with an I or Antoinette or something? And I said, no, there's something about Karen I have to stay with. I don't know why. I just need to stay with that name. And um, now I know why. This is who I really was inside. That is amazing. I, I'm, I'm a believer in God, and I, and I believe God has a plan, and mm-hmm. things happen for a reason. And there's no better example than that. I'm going to give you this compliment, but first I want you to look in that camera right there. Look close. How many women have you wooed with those eyes in your life? No matter Tony or Karen, those eyes are talking to your soul. Yeah. I, I You know, it's so funny that you said that. I think that when you look into somebody's eyes, that is looking down into their soul to tell you who they really are. And, um, yeah, I, I had a lot of compliments, and I still get them. But, you know, it's like, Thank you. <laughs> Even at this age, I say thank you. When you went to work and told them that this was going to be happening, mm-hmm. how did they take it? Well, like I said, there was like a three-month game plan, and they wanted to tell the agency at the same day, the same time across the country. And uh, the person who actually did the training for me, her name is Donna Rose, and it was so funny when we had somebody else that was kind of lined up to come in and do the training, and the... Uh, I, that weekend, I'm like saying to myself, wow, I wish we had Donna Rose doing the uh, training because she's awesome. You know, just to see her bio just blew me away. I get to work, and we were meeting like once a week. as a I call it my transition team, mm-hmm. basically. And um, the one of the gentlemen who uh, works in EEOC goes, we have been doing some research, and we found Donna Rose, and we want to have her come in and do your training. And I went, are you serious? I said, <laughs> I just looked at her this weekend, and we're friends on Facebook, and I said, I got to call her. So afterward, you know, I called her up, and I texted her, basically, because she didn't answer. And I said, I just found out you're going to be doing the training for me at my agency, and I want you to know this is the ninth inning. We're down by three runs. It's two outs, you come to bat, and boom, Grand Slam Hummer. <laughs> and she started laughing. She goes, LOL. She goes, yeah, we're going to hit a Grand Slam. And today, still, some of my coworkers will still bring her name up and say, how she's doing? She did an awesome job. And they said, basically, for the first time, they thought our CEO did something right. <laughs> and so... It was too wild. And so um, I do want to give you a compliment, Karen, because during the history of my podcast, that is the most lesbian analogy I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> we're at the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> the bases are loaded. Um, so you were saying uh, how it went. And that day, 
it was a mandatory meet. Well, first she met with the executive team to talk about what was going to do. They also read a story, a letter from me, which all the department heads were going to read to their staff. And so after that, there was a mandatory meeting um, in the conference room as well as across the country. And the um, um, she just basically, you know, when people came to the meeting and stuff, they all thought they were going to get fired. That's what they oh. thought the meeting was going to be. And little did they know, it was about me. And so um, You were the happiest news that staff had ever had. <laughs> yeah, and it was like um, they just they heard a great training thing from from Donna for about an hour. You know, the only thing that came up was about the bathroom issue. And my agency, I have to say, did a great job. We had like, we controlled two buildings at headquarters. One side had like in the ladies' bathroom, it was like two stalls there. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And then in the men's, I think it was like two urinals in one stall. And what they did was, um, that's so funny that I said that I remember. Mm. <laughs> I don't really remember that much back that far on that. But they converted those bathrooms to single-use bathrooms, which was great. And then the Everybody other, was thankful. Everybody won with that. Oh, yeah, because I said, there's some of my coworkers that go, you know what? When we went to the single-use bathroom there, we all like it. You know, and I'm like... Oh, y'all are, you know, gaining this See? over my expense. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are questions that you are asked? What's the number one question you're asked on your uh, change? Why did I make it so hard for them? Why didn't I go with Tony with an I? Um, and I'm like, hold but, on, hold on. Why am I supposed to make it easy for you? Don't you know that I have to now answer to Karen? I've got to write checks under that's Karen. The, is it? I remember, um, and this is this is similar, I guess. Um, my name is Jimmy, but my real name is James. Mm -hmm. Well, when I went to school, I said, you know what? I want to be James. But when people go James, I never answered because <laughs> I wasn't used to being called that. Right. So how long did it take you to get used to being called Karen? Well, see, you know, every time I went out and about, I was Karen. And then the hardest thing is going from Karen out and about to going back mm. to Tony. And it was like, I tell people it's like being Superman, you know, <laughs> um, this back and forth, and um, it wasn't that hard. Once I, now, there has been a couple of hiccups here and there where I was getting ready to, to say Tony or something mm. like, what am I doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like I said, gone but not forgotten, yeah. and that's yeah. how I look at that. Um, do you mind if we talk about surgery? Sure. Uh, because I'm somebody who I had to get knee surgery, and I'm like, um, you know, that's... You Her like uh, so uh, meniscus a, meniscus ACL. That's what mine. <laughs> what happened with yours? Uh, playing ball basically. Yeah. I played um, baseball in high school. If I had played my cards right, I could have been possibly playing professional baseball. A guy was going to have a scout from the New York Mets come watch me play, and I ended up transferring schools and didn't tell anybody. And literally, if I can get to the ball in the air, maybe five feet away, I was airborne. So of course, crashing down on my knees. Mm over the years and stuff like that, and that's what's messed it up. Okay, well, anybody who um, has had knee surgery, <laughs> you want to find out. So what did you have done? I had a partial knee replacement in 2004 on the left knee uh, because the surgeon thought I was too young. Mm -hmm. I had a total knee replacement. And then in 27, 2014, I had the right knee total replacement. And then on 2017, I had the total knee on the left knee. And how are they? Right knee's doing pretty decent. Left knee, oh, 
it took me almost two years before I could finally get back into my bed. I've been sleeping in a lazy boy chair for two years. Oh, Karen. And it's so funny because I call my lazy boy chair Mrs. Jones. <laughs> we got a thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> and now I call my bed. I start singing the song. Reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Peaches and herb, baby. Yes. <laughs> um. Well, so you're back in your bed? Yes. Oh, finally. my God. That's brutal. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, and I think probably that was God's way of pushing me back to bed because I started having a back injury on top of a back oh, yeah. injury. Oh. And it just was really crucial. Karen, yeah. I, um, my husband's an orthopedic nurse. Mm -hmm. And when I had the knee surgery, he got me this little ice machine. Oh, I Do got that. Is that not the greatest thing? Oh, it is so cool. I was going to say, you need to get one of it because it it's, does wonders. I was hoping they were going to give me another one when I had the other knee done, so then I could have laid up there with both of them <laughs> up in the machine. I wonder if there's a way to connect, uh, to get two of those two on there. Two pads, yeah. a little splitter. Uh, yeah, yeah. That would be kind of cool. I'll, I'll ask my husband about that. Okay, he's let like, me know because I want to get one. He's uh, like a MacGyver. Um, <laughs> so, the athlete, so there you are an athlete. Um, you, have knee, you have these knee surgeries, which I know are brutal. Oh, so that's what what, what it's going to bring up. So I know what it was like having knee surgery and the agony that that was, and maybe mm -hmm. I'm being a wimp about it, but the surgery that you went through. For the SRS. I, I can't imagine. Right. Uh, is it as peripherally painful as I'm imagining <laughs> it? Let's put it this way. Um, I was not worried about this. I mean, you know, I was at total peace. A lot of my friends go, Aren't you nervous? Aren't you scared? I'm like, no, I'm at total peace. Now, two weeks prior to the surgery date, I kept seeing yellow vehicles. I mean, literally almost every day, three or four times a day. And I'm like, why do I keep seeing yellow vehicles? Is this like a caution to my surgery? Mm -hmm. And so a good friend of mine, uh, she said, look, it's just, you know, Satan trying to get in there and just mess with your head. And after I heard that I just really let it go and I just felt really good and and to um the day of the surgery it was pretty much all women nurses and doctors mm -hmm. I had and except for one male doctor um he's now I think in Seattle uh doing the same surgery and so I had this little uh bumper sticker that said let's roll I took <laughs> a nice picture with that and that was pretty cool but um coming out of surgery um I had I was on um Percocet and Tylenol, that was it. Wherein I've heard most girls uh, have had um, morphine for like four to five days. Mm. And I'm like, I didn't have any of that. So I was on the uh, Percocet and Tylenol for about a couple of weeks because uh, the surgeon said, look, you know, I can't clear it for driving until you're off the, the payments. And I'm like, okay. So eventually I just said, I'm done with this, you know, and just kept taking the Tylenol. And um, the hardest thing is what we have to do is, is dilate. Mm -hmm. And um, that, at the beginning, it was four times a day for 15 minutes. Um, and I had to be off of work for like six weeks. And then after that, um, it would be down to three times a day for 15 minutes, then two times a day, and then one time. And then it's supposed to be once a month, and, and that's where it's at now. Now, when you went back to work, how did coworkers treat you? Wow. When I came back to work, I came back to gifts, cards on my desk and stuff like that. Uh I had to get into security a little bit later to get my new badge. And it was so cool because I'm sitting there getting ready to take my picture. And he goes, or would you like to use this picture, which is the picture they showed to everybody in the conference room. And it's here, me sitting in the park 
you know, and I've got my head kind of cocked a little bit, you know. I'm like, ah, uh, yes, we're going with that <laughs> picture. <laughs> and so everybody at work are like, how'd you get that picture, you know? Yes. I said, hey, you've got to have connection, you know. But didn't it make you feel good that that was the response you got when yeah. when you hear so many horror stories? And that's why I like talking to somebody like you, Karen, because it's important to know that there are good stories out there. There's important to know that there are good and kind people yeah. uh, there. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, I was, I'm the safety officer at the agency, so I'm constantly having to walk around. And I knew when I came back to work, I was like, I can't hide at my desk. I got to go and do my job. And as I was walking through, some of the uh, coworkers and a lot of the women were going, hey, if you need to get away, hide or whatever, you know, you're more than welcome to use my office. And I'm like, wow, that's that's really nice. And um, some of my, a lot of my coworkers, coworkers, they don't see Tony anymore. Mm-hmm. They see Karen. They see what I'm doing out here in the community and stuff. And um, they're really proud of me. And that's why in 2014, I ended up getting the Willis Green Community Service Award again. Well, uh, you also did a TED Talk, and I think yeah. for most people who do stuff in the community, that is that is a dream. That's almost like getting a Kennedy Center honor and um, making the world a better place. Uh, tell me how that happened. Well, I happened to be up in New Jersey for a conference for youth, and the director that's running the conference were sitting there having and dinner and stuff like that, and I just happened to tell him a little bit who I was, and he goes, wow, you have a really interesting story. Have you ever done a TED Talk? And I'm like, no. And I'm like kind of cringing back because mm-hmm. it's like, TED Talk? Yeah, we're talking high mountain here to climb. And so um, he says, you really need to do it. He says, this year the theme is on passion, and I can tell you have a lot of passion. He started getting on his phone and texting somebody who he knew, who happens to be the director, and at the TEDx up in Ashbury Park, New Jersey. Well, I'm at the, one of the workshops, and my surgeon happened to be there, and I got to talk a little bit about her, you know. Sitting behind me just happened to be the director of the TEDx talk of Ashbury Park, and he goes, are you Karen? I go, uh, yeah. He goes, I just got a text from this guy, and he says, you know, I needed to talk to you because, you know, you've got a lot of passion, and I'm with one of the directors from TEDx, and I'm like, are you serious? And he says, I want you to put in an application. Let's see where it goes. So I put in the application, um, and then I got an uh, email saying, we want you to come in and do the live show, show or you can um, send in a, a tape. And I said to myself, I really want to go in because I think I'll get it across a lot better in person rather than doing a videotape. And so I did drive up there. Um, I did it that night, and I was like, wow, there's a lot of good people. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went home feeling good that I knocked it out of the park. But then I was like, there's so many good people. Here. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I got another email a few weeks later, and it said, we want to invite you to uh, do the live show. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, oh, happy and everything. And um, when I got ready to prepare for this, I did it based on what I did for the audition. And... Um, I got a, a coach, and the coach loved it. Then I had to do it before eight other coaches. And doing it before them, they liked it. They had a few comments here and there, but nothing major. Then they assigned me a new coach. And the new coach said, look, 
let's try doing it this way. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, really? Two weeks before the live show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, okay. And uh, the next day I had a, a Skype um, rehearsal with him. And he says, I can't believe it. You you killed it. He says, nobody's ever done that when I've had them change, especially the next day. And so he says, later we did a couple of them. And he said, um, I got you to 95% ready. He says, but I'm going to sh- give you to another coach. She'll get you to 110. And I'm like, okay. And I'm just going through my head like, new coaches, new coaches, what ideas. And especially gonna- this is, this isn't like you're making a um, a candle at a, in a class or making um, getting into glass blowing at the art center. This is <laughs> this is your life, and that and it's so personal. Yeah. And you're like, I can imagine, like, wait a minute, hold on, let's let's not change everything here. Right. And then, you know, the, the audition to take eight years of your life into five minutes for an audition is tough enough. At least got 10 minutes to do my uh, TED Talk, mm-hmm. this, uh, the live one. And just to hear the response. And so the day before the actual show, there was, a, an, uh, you know, the um, rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And so my first coach happened to be out in the audience listening. And after I came off the stage, he came back behind stage. and He was in tears. I'm like, oh, my God. I hope this just carries over to tomorrow, you know, because I really want to kill it tomorrow. And my my mom and my brother came up, and another church member, she just happened to come up during the night to watch uh, the, the talk, and it was just awesome. And here again, coaches were, like, in awe. And um, you can hear a lot of funny comments in there, especially when I talk about the two awards with the Willis Green Community Service Award. That, you know, hey, wait a minute. This is me getting it, not Tony. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, of course, I would talk about the challenges that I face now, such as long bathroom lines and stuff <laughs> like that, coming out of the ladies' bathroom, uh, going to a sporting event or a movie. Um, the other one is buttons on the blouses are on the other side. Zippers are on the other side of Things the Things that you don't think about until you're <laughs> until it happens. Yeah. That is great. So Relatable. Know, and, and then hearing the other part about, you know, like um, – you know, some of the ladies you know, at work at the beginning said, oh, wow, Karen looks like she's dressed going to a, a nightclub. And I'm like, I never dressed like that. And I talked to a good friend of mine, and she said, who's a co-worker there, and she goes, welcome to the caddy world. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's a meow. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah. I got to deal with this crap now. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, welcome to womanhood with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wouldn't change a thing in a million years, that's for sure. Well, you just seem so happy, and I believe that you're one of the people who are, uh, of many, but making the world a better place. And I can sense that we have this in common. Uh, I try to find people that may not agree with me on everything and, mm-hmm. and go, well, look at what we do agree on. Right. It's funny. I had a conversation with one of my best friends mm-hmm. um, who's very religious, and I don't mean that negatively, um, but in the South where I grew up. I was the only Catholic kid in my high school. So, I mean, it was like deep Southern Baptist, got old-time gospel, as I said. And now that I'm married, I'm going down uh, soon to visit them. And I know uh, to speak at this event. And I said, am I going to see you? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it to that thing. And I said, well, it's gonna, if I don't see you, it's going to hurt my feelings. And I normally don't would not bring that up, but I'm going to have my husband with me. It is. And I said to him, um, I know you don't agree with 
what I did. But I just want you to know I'm very happy. Right. And he wrote me back. He says, yeah, I'm not totally with what you did, but you'll always be my brother. Mm. And it's like that made – and instead of me getting angry at him and going, you son of a bitch, you know, you love me and what I did and accept what I did or else. Right. He would have handled it differently. I think sometimes in our community, we want to put a thumb in the eye of somebody who may not agree with us. And if we would have handled it a different way, we could have brought them in. And that's funny that you said that because, and I'll give you two examples of two different people. One who was like a brother to me. And um, when I told him I had something to tell him, and I told him over the phone, um, he said, wait, I'm coming over right now. And so um, when he came over, I, you know, he knocks on the door, I open the door, and then the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And we, we talked a little bit, and I tried to explain to him, you know, what was going yeah. on and why I had to, you know, transition. And he just, you know, I could see right then our, our friendship oh. and our brotherhood would totally change. And um, it did for quite a long time. I mean, you know, didn't really hear from him at all. Um, and so that really bothered me a lot because I really loved this guy and his family, you know. I mean, I was there when his daughter was pretty mm. much born, you know, and, and gone through the ages and stuff like that. So that hurt, hurt me a lot. And then there was another um, <clears throat> person who um, I was with the Volunteer Park Police for Prince George's County, <clears throat> and being with them, uh, got very good friends with the lieutenant and stuff, and we would go out, you know, meet on Saturday, go, or, I'm sorry, Friday on my Fridays off and go out for lunch and stuff and talk about, you know, various things and things with the, you know, Park Police Volunteer Association. And um, so after I told him and he knew I transitioned, you know, he still wanted to be my friend, but we never saw each other mm. for almost five years. He was email me or call every yeah. so often, but that it wasn't the same. And finally, when we did meet, um, he was actually one of my donors to go down to Texas to speak down there. And um, we sat at lunch, and he was very, very uh, open to what I was telling him. He said, I am so sorry that I haven't really been a close friend like we used to be. And it was really hard for him because, you know, he lost a good friend, Tony. And so, you know, and I tell a lot of people now, I say, look, when we transition, we don't transition alone. Our friends, our family, Great point. co-workers, you know, all of them transition with us. Either they're with the force or against us. And um, that's how that went. So, but we're good in, and, and it's so good between us. He even asked, like, do you have anybody to take you to go get your surgery? He was actually going to go with me take me and my mom to go to get my surgery done. I was like, wow, you know, that's really a change. So now every once in a while we'll meet up uh, for Chinese food at my place and watch a movie, you know, and I actually uh, had him watch Danish Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And that was really touchy right there. So. Doesn't it make you proud that in 2000, uh, now 20 and 19, that <laughs> they have movies that aren't just um, – where the gay character or the trans character is the um, comic foil in the movie or the used as a punchline. Mm-hmm. Um, these movies that really help, I, I like uh, TV shows, especially uh, Modern Family. I would say Cam and Mitchell, 
people will never know how much they helped our community. Right. Now, let's talk about your military service. Okay. <clears throat> how long were you in the service? I was with the Maryland Defense Force, and okay. we supported the Maryland National Guards. It's uh, under Congress Title 32 of the militia, so we're a volunteer component of the military, and I did that for five years. And while being in the with the Maryland Defense Force, I joined in 2011. I was really scared, too, because as background check, um, and then, of course, I had to show ID and all that kind of stuff, so I was able to take my driver's license, which was you know, and my new name and everything, gender marker and stuff, passport, so I could use my passport instead of a birth certificate. Mm-hmm. And so that was good. And um, it was it went great. And, and in 2012, by the Maryland Defense Force and the Maryland State Guard Association, I ended up getting NCO Soldier of the Year, which is non-commissioned officer. And in 2013, by the State Guard Association of the United States, I got Soldier of the Year of the country. Out of 24 states and 23,000 soldiers and other accommodations, you know, as far as leadership award and so on. If you're listening right now, Karen making you feel very bad about what you've accomplished <laughs> in your life. That's what she's doing to me right now. Um, but you're making us all proud. Well, you know, the thing is, after getting those awards, a lot of the female soldiers were coming up to me and going, hey, great job. You're doing it for us. And little did they know I'm transgender. And I couldn't tell them that because we weren't accepted yet mm-hmm. in the military. And then when President Obama allowed that to happen, it was great. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. later, yeah. 45 decided to change our lives forever. But, you know, it doesn't affect me now because I'm with uh, the United States Veterans Reserve Corps. Three weeks ago, I just ended up getting promoted to sergeant, first sergeant. So uh, that's Congratulations. And uh, it's been going good. And what we are, our a collaboration of veterans, uh, and we are taking in some civilians too because we want somebody who's got a, a heart and a mind to serve, and that's who we want to be with us. So we're trying to team up with Red Cross, which I'm already doing Red Cross as a volunteer, and um, Salvation Army, and then hopefully we'll get something going with FEMA as well. Why do you feel so compelled to give back and volunteer? Wow, that's a interesting question. I feel like I've been infected, if that's the word I can use, mm-hmm. into my bloodstream, and it's called volunteer. And it's just it's going through me in such a way that I just can't let it go. And um, it's a good feeling to give it back to, to not only to the community but to other people out there. That was the hardest thing for me to do when I transitioned because I'm always stopping for people um, – that are broken down or an accident and stuff. And after I transition, I'm like, wow, now I can't do that like that that much anymore. Mm-hmm. I've got to take into consideration the time, the location of the accident or yeah. broken down vehicle because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. And saying that I'm a woman basically now, which a lot of people say, why do you still support us? Why do you still help us? And, I, and I've had a slogan, a saying, Never forget where you come from, and that's what I live by every day. Mm-hmm. And so I want to keep reaching back and helping the next person along the way to, you know, hey, somebody help me. I want to help you. And that's the challenge I have put out to the community a few times when I've talked. I said, look, <clears throat> we're not the veterans in the military. We're the veterans of this community. We need to help the younger ones that are coming along. They're the future of tomorrow. And in order for things to keep going the way it's going, it's progressing. It's not perfect, but it's progressing, and we need to help the others. Karen, who are people you look up to? My mom, one. 
I mean, you know, raising us as a uh, single mother in our family, uh, yeah, she did a super job. And we have our tuggles here mm-hmm. and there, but it's so funny because people say, you know, well, two women living together, there's an issue, or, you know, mother and daughter, sometimes there's an issue. But, yeah, I look up to my mom. I look she up must to, be so proud of you. Oh, she is. She's not only been supportive, but she's been very proud of me and stuff. That's awesome. Um, and it's great to have that kind of support. I wish every trans person had that kind of support from their family. Look, I mean, you brought them into this world. You know, you should love them unconditionally. And why put on stigmas on them for wanting to be happy? I mean, we transition to be happy. It's um, because of our happiness and the way society treats us after we transition, we lose our spouse, we lose our family, we lose our children, we lose our jobs, our homes. And it's not fair. And that's why they end up committing suicide. Mm. So. Yeah, we've spoken often about the suicide rate in the trans community. It's just horrific. Yeah. And um, especially what's happening, um, the murder rate also, and especially uh, women of color, trans women of color, it's just <laughs> heartbreaking. And it's the story that is not told enough. Uh, right now, I'm actually yeah. working with uh, Prince George's County Police in the Fairmont Heights area of Maryland, and that's where a couple of girls were murdered last year. And after the second one was murdered, <clears throat> the major from Prince George's County called me up, and she goes, look, I'm tired of playing ping pong with D.C. police. We're pushing the girls over to D.C. D.C.'s pushing them back to Maryland. I don't want to arrest them because if I arrest them, they're just going to come back out on the street and work. We need to try to figure out a program to get them off. Would you be interested in helping? And I said, absolutely, because I want them to see that they are safe. I don't want to see any more murders out there. Mm. Um, and when we transition, that's one of the things we have to think about is the fact that they hate us. They want to murder us, especially women of color. So that ties me into my church mm-hmm. where I told them a few weeks, because I actually do a ride along with and we get to areas and I see the girls. I'll get out, talk to them, and say, you know, is there anything we can do to help you get off the streets? And some will tell us, yeah, I need a job. I need a home. And those are two of the major things that they have talked about. And so I want to help them try to get off the streets out of the way. And, um, and so one particular night I was talking to one of the girls in uh, the officer I was riding with, he said, do you remember the last time you were out? And I go, yeah. There was another girl signaling that girl to come on, come on, come on, because her pimp was in the area. Mm. And I'm like, are you serious? You know, I said, first of all, I said, I didn't know trans girls had pimps. Yeah, I did. I, you know, it's been a long time since I've even thought that there were pimps in 2020. <laughs> yeah. And then um, after that, uh, he said, also, we had, there was three shootings in the area. And I'm like, are you serious? So I went to church and doing the praise and prayer requests, I said, look, you know, this is what happened down there. And the church knows that I'm doing this type of work for the county police. And so they, I said, um, just keep me in prayer that I can get up enough money to uh, get a vest. And so one of the ladies after church comes up to me and gives me money, basically. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want that. She goes, no, you take this right now. I said, okay. And I got home and I looked in my pocket and it was $50. A couple of days later, uh, the LGBT council called me up on Tuesday and said, look, have you seen found anything as far as a vest? And I'm like, I've got a couple of them in mind. One's for like 540 and the other one's mm. like 650 And um, 
She goes, well, the council wants to donate money so you can get a vest. And I'm like, are you serious? And so when I told them, you know, great. Um, Somebody else I had talked to from Red Cross said, have you checked with Ranger Surplus? And I'm like, no. Uh, And I go there all the time. So I called them up, and they said, yeah, we have a vest for $300, and it's the exact same level of vest that I wanted. So I went there the next day, and and it came up to like three sixteen, three eighteen, and I ended up getting it for two eighty six because of the discount I got. Oh, that's great! So here's the church looking out for me, and then I was able to bless the church without having to spend five hundred dollars, which is what they were going to donate for me. And what's great about that is that you go to a church that is welcoming you and loving you, and yeah. and wanting you to help other uh, trans women, which is yeah. pretty amazing. And this is a straight church, but it's a welcoming church. Yeah, that's what's even blowing me away that parishioners there are like in their 80s you know and 70s and they're like hey how's it going out there you'd being okay we're praying for you and all this kind of again stuff. it's never been better than it is right now yeah. again not perfect but never been better so i interrupted you so who are some other your heroes people you looked up to uh definitely um janet mock um laverne cox i think they're awesome women they're out there um putting us in the light um, I think we need more of us in the light, not doing stupid shows. Or, yeah, and I, I tell people so many times, I say, we've got police officers, we've got firefighters, we've got politicians, we've got judges, we've got actresses. I said, you know, yeah, we've got people in the military, you know. Obviously, they're trying to get us out of that, but, mm-hmm. you know, if they only just sit there and take the time to get to hear our story. Yeah. Well, and, and the funny thing is, whether you like her or not, um, I believe that there are people living right now because Caitlyn Jenner told her story. Right. It's pretty amazing. And I, and I know that Caitlyn is controversial, and I get why. But I think there's a greater good that came o- along with Caitlyn's story. Absolutely. I, and I, I don't hate Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. I don't dislike her. I look at her as she was a springboard to people asking me the questions that they will never be able to ask her. Yeah. I'm like, I use that as, a, as an advantage to be able to tell my story, to be able to say, hey, look, we're not this and that, you know, and um, because they could come to me. They felt like they could talk to me. And that opened up a lot of questions, even at my agency. They're like people that, like, hey, can I ask you a question? Where I think they would have never asked before. If people wanted to get a hold of your website, mm-hmm. what is the website? Website is kkhomes.com. kkhomes.com. And if they want to send me an email or whatever, it's kkhomes at kkhomes.com. And I was looking at your pictures, and I saw a great picture <laughs> of of uh, Tony right. with George W. Bush. Yeah. That is a great picture. <laughs> Thanks. Because I'm into president, so okay. I'm like, I'm jealous. I'm like, I'd like to be in that picture. That's a great picture. <laughs> well, it's what happened was um, on my bucket list I had on there, to meet a U.S. president. And so um, I just happened to go there that day and uh, to an event that our agency was kind of overseeing that he happened to be at. And I, I went in my uniform with Park Police and, um, and uh, I'm sitting there. And it was so funny because, you know, of course we had to get there like probably two hours before he got there. We got locked in. And so he comes in on the floor and there's not many people there. So obviously I had direct access to him. So... Uh, we shook hands, and the one of the pictures, I'm looking at him, and it's like, if for some odd reason, it was in my head, yeah, tell me some more crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so we, you know, and it was real pleasant talking and everything. And then I got to meet Laura Bush as well because she was there with them. And I go to take a picture. Somebody was using my camera, and the camera didn't work right. Oh. And then so it was like a quick, like almost a draw. It was like this. I had another camera that was in my and I'm like, that was a stupid move. <laughs> you know, <'cause laughs> Secret Service yeah. is right there, you know, and everything. And we took a great picture. So. That's a, it's a great picture. I wish... It's the toughest part of a lot of things is being able to get the achievements and the awards that I got as Tony and not be able to really display it because Tony's not around. Mm. Um, and that's hard to know. That's one of the pictures I really don't have and have really displayed. I do have it still uh, with all the pictures with President Bush and stuff, but um, it's not displayed like I would do with Karen right now. You know, I understand. But maybe, uh, and forgive me for this, It's like if I had a picture of... Uh, my mom with somebody or somebody who in my life who was gone, mm-hmm. I might still have that picture. That may be a way you can justify putting it out. Um, right. it's, um, it's so nice to meet you. And I have one last question for you. And this is normally the last question I ask. Okay. If you could go back and talk to Tony mm-hmm. at 12 years old, mm-hmm. what would you tell him? I'm enjoying life. Um, thank you for being that springboard for who I am today, you know, with all the volunteer stuff you did. But guess what? I got more awards than you do. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Karen Holmes. You're making the world a better place, and thank you. Thank you for having I, me on the show. You're such a lovely person, I, and I'm so proud and honored that you joined us today. Uh, and I want to thank WTOP and Julia Ziegler for allowing us to record in these beautiful studios. And if you think that you know somebody who needs to listen to uh, Out With Jimmy and would help their lives, please share it with them. And remember, you'll never know when the last time you'll be able to tell someone you love them. Go ahead and do it.